I was very apprehensive some time ago when I knew Phil was going to be gone. His family's gone right now. They're taking their oldest son, Nick, to Manhattan Bible College, dropping him off there. So he's going to be gone. And the realization when that was a month and a half ago when I realized I got to preach out of Revelation. And I got weak need. And for a while I didn't know where it was going to be. But a few weeks ago then I knew hey, it's landing on Revelation chapter 6, which you heard Mike Boyd read. Well, that caused me to do a lot of thinking. In that, I wanted to, and I have my sermon notes here and stuff, but this first paragraph I want to read because I thought about this and I want to preface the things that I say with this. So I'm going to read it verbatim off of here so it comes off to you guys the way I intended to in my mind, so just follow along with me. Today, as we look at the sixth chapter of Revelation, I want to remind us of a couple things. I'm not looking to insult anyone or make you feel bad about what you think of when you have, when you read and study Revelation. We are allowed to have our opinions on different thoughts and meanings from this book. In fact, it was written in such a way as to be mysterious and to consistently show us through the book who God is and who His Son Jesus is, and that Jesus is a wonderful, mighty Savior and King. And God has a plan for our salvation, and it was revealed in Jesus. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying next here. We can have different opinions reading through Revelation and still hold fast and agree to all the essential doctrinal necessities for our faith. But also, we don't want to be afraid to consider some different ideas and thoughts as we study our way through this book. So, today there might be some things that you're going to hear from me that you're going to say, well, I'm not sure if that says that. Or, here's the way I learned this. Or, here's the way I was taught about this. And that's fine. If this book was written, if God would have wanted it written in the way that we understand Jesus' birth, His ministry, His death, and how plain all that was, God would have put the Scripture in the context that way. He knows what He's doing. So there's a purpose there. So what I'm asking you for is that you would extend me grace if there's some thing that I, a threshold that I cross there, you think, well, I don't agree with that, that you would extend me grace in that. And I would to you in that. But then remember that the core things that we believe, the, the, the plan of salvation and who God is and who Jesus is, we all agree on that. So if there's some little things here that we have some differences in, that's good. That causes us to think. And over time in our life, I've changed my thinking just in preparing for this uh, message this morning. I've changed some of the things that I thought. And then also I've thought of some things that I've never thought of. So let's go to the... to Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 6. Let's look at this first verse. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. Now, it'd be easy to just skim past that verse, but I, I, I want to talk about this for a minute. This is one of the, one of the four living creatures. Take your Bible, flip back one or two pages to chapter 4, and look, we're going to read verses 6 through 8. Chapter 4, verses 6-8. through It says, Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like 
a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It would be easy to skip over these four living creatures that God has in His throne room. When I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, that that's something that's amazing in itself. And I, I want to just have you think about this. Think of something in creation, some type of animal, creature, whatever it is that God has created that you appreciate. And you know, we could sit here all day and people would be bringing up different things that they like. Like maybe they like elk or, or deer or cats or dogs or the list would go on. But one, one of the things that I like is I love those, one of my favorite little creatures is those little red-breasted nuthatches. And many of you are nodding your heads so you know what I'm talking about. But they're a little bird that's the size of a chickadee. In fact, sometimes when, initially when you see them, they almost look like a black-capped chickadee. And they have this stripe that goes through their eye around their head. Looks like a little mask that they have. And they have a light reddish-colored breast. And they're gray on the back. And they go up the trees and down the trees and sideways. Gravity doesn't matter to them. They're just a beautiful little creature. And they make cute little noises when you're out in the woods. I love to hear them. In fact, when I hear one, I start looking around because I know what it sounds like. I'm not going to try to make the sound for you, but it's kind of a light, cheapy, twerpy, clicky sound that... uh, you know, so that should explain it right there. These little birds, when you have them in your bird feeder, if you have uh, sunflower seeds out like we do, they, you know, some birds paw that stuff, scratch it out on the ground, make a big mess. These red-breasted nuthatches, they get one sunflower seed, and then they go land on the side of a tree if you watch them, and they find a crack in the bark that they can get that seed in there, and then that holds it and they're able to pry it open and get the sunflower seed out of the thing. Sweet little things. And, and there's millions of things in our world. But think about this. What are these creatures that, that so, some people refer to them as the angelic seraphim that is in the throne room of God. But these four creatures that, you know, one has a head or face looks like an ox. We got the lion, the one that has a face like a man, and then the flying eagle. What are these going to look like when we get to heaven? Think about that. Just let your imagination wander and think about that. It's going to be something amazing. Then I thought my imagination started getting away with from me, and I thought when I'm in heaven someday, I could just see Michael, the archangel. God calls him over and says, "Michael, come here." He said, and then he would say. Would you go over there and tell Deanie to leave that seraphim alone? It's purring too loud and we're trying to have this meeting. So tell him to just knock it off. Because <laughs> I think one of them probably pur- purrs. So we think about those things and, and in God's 
creativity. And we see that in this book. And that would be something that we could just cruise right by because we're thinking about all these other things. Let's look at verse 2. It says, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now when, I got, when I'm getting to these parts here, I thought, you know, if I could go on long enough about the nuthatch, and I'd say, well, we run out of time. But we're not going to do that. This white horse, don't confuse with the rider. Don't confuse this with Jesus. If you look at the context of this, we already know what Jesus is doing. He's tied up, right? He's the one that is able to open the scroll and start opening the seals. And that's what He is doing. So this white rider, Phil and I talked about this, and we agree, according to our opinion and our thinking and the way that we're going to be teaching it here, is this is the first revealing of the Antichrist here. And the, the rider with a bow and that's given a crown, there, arrows aren't mentioned. Some of the Bible scholars and commentators would say that uh, this has significance because what it is telling us is that this leader is going to rise up and he's going to take over things through the, the false deception of peace and the threat of weapons of war. Because he's got the bow, which is a weapon, but he doesn't have arrows for it. And that seems to make sense. I can agree with that and don't really have any reason to disagree with that. That could fit that application. And then the time is going to come when this false peace, this sense of security, the rug is going to be jerked out from under that because it's a deception. Think about this. Two, the devil always has things that are counterfeit to God, doesn't he? We take in Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, we think of what love is, what God says it is, and then we see how the world makes it and what the devil does with that. Things like God tells us you wait to have sex before marriage and the devil says, oh, it doesn't matter if you really love each other. And we could go on and on with lists of things where the devil inserts the wrong things. He takes the things of God and he, he goes opposite the direction that God would want to go. So that, that's some thoughts there to think about with this writer. But the sad part of it is, is, is the deception works. It works today. People are buying into the things that the devil would like them to do and accepting the counterfeit for the things of God. So that, that's a, a good way to look at that. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So see, we were talking about the peace, the false sense of security there. Just think for a minute with me. If um, we don't have peace everywhere in the world right now and in different places, sometimes there's times of peace and then sometimes of uprising and stuff. But just think if peace disappeared, what would happen? And then with that, causing, it says, and to make people kill each other, this desire among mankind to hurt each other even more so than what we see in today's world, which we have these senseless acts of 
violence throughout the country and the world that just make us drop our jaw. But folks, it can get a lot worse. Just think about it. But the idea of the peace, that false security that the rider on the white horse promoted and is using for purposes that's going to be coming in time. Now look at verse 5. Start out in that. It says, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. This is, this is interesting because I want to, and you're going to understand this very quickly. What happens in wartime with food? It gets hard to get, especially perishable. Just think, how do you, as a farmer, how do you, or a rancher, how do you farm, garden, work with your crops and stuff if you're being invaded? Things are happening like that. You know, those things go by the wayside. In fact, the people that are trying to get control of you are going to make sure that they deprive you of your food supplies. You know, that's why the first thing that happens in war is the supply trains, caravans, any method of getting supplies from one place to another. One of the tactics is you cut off the food supply and fuel supply and things like that. Well, the idea here of food prices going up and food getting harder to get. We we don't even have to imagine very long to, or hard in our imagination to see how that works because most of us in our lifetime have seen that played out in different places around the world. But food going up. Then the other thing that happens is it is used as a, con, a way of controlling the people by the people that are the governing authorities at that time or flexing the military might in that area or that time. They have control of that, so they're getting their way in that. And to kind of give you a little example of this mantle picture, and I got permission from her to use this story, but most of you here know Sumiko Ferguson. She was born and raised in Japan, grew up in Japan during World War II, and she was a young uh, child. She had to work in a factory, not by her own choice, but she had to work to support the Japanese war machine in production for things for war. I remember over the years many times Sumi telling me these stories, and so I got thinking about this, and I called her yesterday, and I said, would you mind if I talked about this? And she said, nope, that's, that's fine. But she had to do this work in the factory along with other people, ladies and kids especially. She said that uh, uh, sometimes the air sirens would go off and you might remember that some of the tactics were they would black out the city so they couldn't be bombed because back then the technology that the U.S. forces and Allied forces had was, uh, some of it was based on vision and what you could see and where you were going to drop their bombs. Now in today's world that doesn't matter, but then it did. And she said when the lights would go off, that people would take your food. Sometimes they'd just get a little bit of rice and bread to eat for their work shift. 
but people would steal it. And she said you would hear some screaming and hollering when that would happen, and mainly from the younger kids and stuff, that their food would get taken. Because that was such a precious commodity, the thing of war happening and food. Uh, she also said that the meat went to the soldiers, so they people that were living there like they were, normally the meat was all going out to the soldiers. That's interesting, isn't it? And then she said also sometimes they would turn the lights off and do this on purpose, too, as a ploy to get their food. But that's a, that's just an example of somebody here in our congregation that we have the ability to listen to that kind of brings home this, this point of uh, controlling what we have there in the food. Brings up, look at your uh, verse 7 there. It says, or excuse me, the end of verse 6, it says, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Thinking about that when I was reading about this and studying this, I thought, why is that sentence in there? The oil and the wine. Well, it's kind of a luxury and it's more it's not so much perishable, it can be kept for longer times. In fact, this morning in first service I said I think wine, if it's bottled right now the sunshine, can be kept for a long time. Part of it they do that to age it and I don't know if it goes for a hundred years if it turns into whiskey or something, I don't know, but uh, uh, those of you that have paid attention to what happened in, in like World War II when they took, at the end of the war, when they took the strongholds of the enemies, you know, places that the Germans had taken over and set up, kind of their command headquarters and things like that, these these houses or lodges and things that they were in were lavish in their furnishings. And these guys were living high on the hog. They had fancy food, wine, liquors, uh, accommodations and stuff. And they were orchestrating things for the war. But you see the idea there of the uh, oil and the uh, uh, wine being left alone and the concept of how dictatorship and commanding governments or militaries could be using that while the people are suffering. Now in verse 7, turn to verse 7 with me there. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him. They were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. How many of you remember Hollywood jumped on this section right here? How many of you remember the Pale Rider Clint Eastwood movie? Yeah, quite a few of you do. They, the narrator at the first part of the show, from what I remember in my mind, reads this section of Scripture here. And, and of course, for the sake of the movie, Clint Eastwood was the... Uh, rider on the the pale rider on the horse okay well i i found some things out that i didn't know in studying on this actually the greek word if if some of you take notes and for whatever it's worth you want to write this down the greek word for this uh this uh pale horse is spelled c l w r o v and I'm not a Greek scholar, so I don't know how you would say that, but C L 
W-R-O-V. Actually, it would be translated in a yellowish green color or a pale green color. And have you heard the saying before of you tell somebody or maybe you say in referring to yourself, you're, I'm feeling a little green under the gills or you look a little green. You know, we've heard that saying. Well, for me, that kind of made some sense here on this uh, this rider on this pale horse. That gives it a little more meaning. In fact, my translation of this would be, uh, in my terminology, would be the horse was a vomit green color. <laughs> I kind of like that. I feel like I'm a little bit of a translator. But taking Greek and putting it into English, but... The other thing I want to point out here in these verses is in the 8th verse, it says they were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword. Now they is, remember we got the rider that's on the horse, but who's they? Well, hell and Hades is right on his tail, riding with him, right? So that's where the they comes in. The idea here too is to, they have uh, they've given, been given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, the sword can be through military wars, tyrant governments, people killing each other, famine, as we've talked about uh, already about the lack of food and and who has control over the food. Now, the thought of plague. Some people think that this could be the uh, germ warfare, that it could be chemical warfare, could be just disease from poor living conditions, uh, poor nutrition and stuff. But for us, in today's world, that's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? Now, think back 1,500 years ago, germ warfare and chemical warfare, people wouldn't have had to deal with that part of it when they looked at this, would they? But we look at it today and that seems understandable to us, doesn't it? Then, here's an interesting thought. Look there where it says at the end of verse 8, and by the wild beasts of the earth. By the wild beasts of the earth. And a quarter of the people are going to be getting killed in these different methods, but it specifically throws in the wild beasts of the earth. So go down this little trail with me. Just say that for some reason or other the beast, the wild beasts that inhabit the earth lose their natural fear of man. Most of the time we have grizzly bear attacks occasionally and mountain lions and a few other things like that. But just think, what would it be like if all of a sudden that natural instinct for those animals were, is they're not scared of us anymore. And they view us, every everybody and everything's hungry because of famine. What would that be like? This past hunting season, I had a lion tag and was able to get a mountain lion. And I got a male mountain lion that weighed 147 pounds. And looking at the way that thing is equipped, if that thing wanted to hurt somebody... It could. I mean, they don't have any problem with deer and elk and probably a larger one like this, even a moose, if they were bent on that. Think about that. How would you like to go out on a walk in the evening and have a lion hunting you just like they do a white-tailed deer or a grizzly or fill in the blank of what kind of animal makes your hair 
run up and down the back of your neck. But that's an interesting thought, isn't it? To think about. That would be a very scary time. Now let's look at verse 9. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Now, here we kind of got to look initially what this doesn't say and what it doesn't say. The other ones that we read, the, the uh, creatures say, come and look. But here, it doesn't say that. Because they're in God's throne room and where are the martyrs? The souls of the martyrs, the spirit that lives on, where are they at? They're under the altar in heaven in God's throne room. That's an interesting thought there. And then what are they what are they asking? They're asking God, How long are you gonna wait? When is judgment time gonna come? When are you gonna avenge what happened to us? Well they're given the white robe and basically they're told just hang on. For a little bit, there's some other things that are going to be taking place here, but just be patient. And there's going to be some other people that are killed. So hang on to that thought about these other people that uh, it's referring to, that is going to, the same thing's going to happen to them that did these martyrs from ancient times to the present of whenever this point in time is here. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? There's something different about this sixth seal being opened. Remember the first four, if we think about those things, God is allowing those, those horses and riders and the things that we've just talked about. But, when those things are happening, that's going to be man doing things to man and Satan's involved, of course, in the Antichrist and so forth. But those can be attributed to man. But look what happens here when this sixth seal is opened. These things, who did they attribute it to or who's getting the credit for these things that are happening? Everybody is realizing God's up to something, right? God uses things that He has created. Nature itself, the universe, things of the earth. Keep your, keep your finger there at chapter 6 and flip. Go from the back all the way to the front to the first chapter of Genesis. First chapter of Genesis, verse 14. And listen to this and you'll see what I'm trying to get across here. Verse 14 of the first chapter. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days 
and years. So see what he's saying here? God's going to use light and darkness to serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Do you think one of the times might be the end times where God might use light and darkness like what it's talking about there in the Scripture to prove a point of who God is and what's happening? So when we pay attention to that, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, what John's seen here and what he's writing completely coincides with what verse 14 in chapter 1 of Genesis is saying, right? Remember what happened on when Jesus was crucified and He died. Darkness came. It wasn't time for it to get dark. And the earth shook. And remember even the, the centurion soldier that was standing there one of the soldiers said, surely this was the Son of God. I mean, he finally paid attention. And that's what is happening to the people in Revelation chapter 6, that uh, they paid attention. They're, they're seeing God for who he, is, who He really is and who His Son Jesus is, and now God has their attention. If you turn to Joshua, the 10th chapter of Joshua, there's another instance here, and there's other ones in the Bible, but I'm going to just read this one. On the day of the uh, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, "Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon." So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. So see in this story in Joshua, we see where God, that was a spatial time, a sacred time. And so Joshua asked for it. God agreed with it. The sun stood still for a whole day and the moon stood there. Even in modern science and the how we can calculate things backwards and forward through the solar system and stuff, that time period has showed up that day there. I was reading about that on the internet. Of course, they have different explanations for it, most of the secular world than the Scripture has. This just shows us once again that God's God's Word is true. We're getting back to the thought here of the people realizing what is happening. And I want you to go down a little... Do a little mental exercise with me, okay? Humor me in this. Let me ask you this. What would happen if you were exposed to the things of God, even taught and understood those things? Maybe that could be your grandma through your family, whatever, you fill in the blank. But you just never bought in. Maybe you thought someday or sometime I'll get serious and do what I need to do spiritually. But not now. And then God's church, His people, the ones He calls His children, are removed from the earth. You've heard Phil talk about that. And what we're teaching through this series in Revelation, that this tribulation time, the things that we're seeing here that's coming up, if you're already a Christian and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that God, before all these horrible things pan out and start happening, is that the church is going to be caught up and people are going to be left behind. So, what would happen if you or I as one of the persons that's left behind, what would you do and what would you think? So hold that thought. 
and go to the book of Daniel, 12th chapter of Daniel, starting in verse 1. And if in my New International Version Bible it says the end times here is the heading for the chapter 12. It says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Skip over to verse 10. It says, Many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So in thinking of what we were just talking about, about the church being taken up, you're one of them left behind. My question to you would be, would you be purified? Would that event, the things that are happening, that we're reading about, we're going to get into more depth through the uh, book of Revelation, would that cause you to say, man, I'm going to turn my life over to God. I'm going to turn my face towards God and the things of God. And really, what I think is... And my understanding, and you can have a different opinion on this, it's it's fine, but I'm I'm seeing that God is so loving and gracious that He is doing everything He can for to give people a chance to find Him. Why go through these horrible events if we can turn our life over to Him now? Because the fact of the matter is that maybe your end time is today. I mean, what guarantees that you're going to be here when the tribulation starts, if that time period, or, or, or however we want to look at that. You see what I mean? This morning, here's a simple example from this morning, is we were out in the lobby, some of us talking, some of us guys talking, and I looked down on the floor, and this ant was going along the floor. Instinctively, I just went, pulled my foot back, and there's that ant. Dead. Probably he was upside down with his legs up in the air. I don't know. Too little to tell. I told the guys kind of jokingly, I said, hey, it was the end times for that ant. But then I got thinking about that, and that that's applicable, isn't it, to what we're talking about. And then here's some other ants. You know how they get the path going. Going back and forth, not knowing what's going on. They're not bemoaning the fact that the one just got stomped on. But as people, we can get that same way. And then somebody could come along those other ants that's there and crunch them or just be walking through the lobby carrying a donut and a cup of coffee and step on it accidentally and the person wouldn't even notice it. But what I'm trying to get us to, to look at as people is we don't know when our end time is going to come. And, how, and this is where we get in total agreement in the Scripture as Christian people, is if we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior in our life, and we know God the Father and what His Son has done for us, and we have a personal relationship with Jesus and we have, have accepted Him, it doesn't matter when the end time is. And if 
even if we think the church is going to get raptured before the terrible time of tribulation, if we're wrong and it doesn't happen and we're left here, God's going to preserve us. Because sometimes, and if you read in the front of your the front page on your bulletin there, the, the little thing that I wrote up for the bulletin, a lot of times we want to know who what what's the nation that God's on the side of in the battle of Armageddon and the things we read in Revelation. Who who's God supporting? Who are the people? And you know, we have a understanding of the saints, the people that have accepted God, but also there's this question of which nation's it going to be? Is it going to be Israel? Well I think we're better off to ask ourselves the question Whose side am I on? <laughs> Instead of whose side is God going to be on, we're asking the wrong question. We need to ask ourselves, whose side am I on? Well, when we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've drove a stake in the ground and we've said, this is the side I'm going to be on. I, I know who God is. I know who His Son Jesus is. And He's my Savior and I've accepted Him and I love Him. And I'm going to try to do the things that I see in the Scripture that God has laid out for me. And when the day comes, when the end time comes for me, whether whatever the circumstances are, if I go outside and uh, uh, somebody could be so mad at me this morning, I go out back, they might hit me on the head with something because they don't agree with me. That could be my end time. But when that time comes, we know what's going to happen to us because Jesus is our Savior and God knows who we are. So we don't have to worry about whose side God's on. We want to worry and think about whose side am I on? Whose boat am I getting into? And we want that to be the Lord's the Lord's boat. So this morning, I just urge you to think about the question, whose side am I on? And is Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior? In fact, we're going to have an invitation time here when we sing this uh, invitation song where Jesse... We'll be over here by the door. And if you have questions about salvation, baptism, Christian living, the Scripture, placing your membership, just uh, you, you want prayer for you or family members, so that's the opportunity during that song that we can pair you up with somebody to help you with that because we don't want to be going home tonight and going to bed wondering, man, I... I should do something and I keep thinking one of these days I'm going to do it, but after seeing the things that are happening in Revelation, I want to be ready when the time comes. So please pray with me and we'll sing our closing song. Dear Father, as we come before You, God, we we just thank You for the opportunity that we have, God, in seeing Your Scripture here, Lord. And these are some interesting things. These are things that we could skim over and say we don't need to worry about it. But you have told us, God, in the first chapter of Revelation, that if we read these things and hear these things and take it to heart, that you'll bless us for it. So, God, we're asking the blessing that comes from uh, paying attention to the book that you had John record and that we see in Revelation. So, God, if there's somebody here that's thinking about their relationship with you and and they need your Son Jesus as their Savior. I just pray, God, that today or in the weeks to come as we study through this, Lord, you'll lead them to the path that leads us to the cross and who Jesus is and who He was, uh, is and always will be, God. And we love you.
We thank you for your son and that he has made a way for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.